It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Paul Byram. He's performing in Myron's Cabaret Jazz at the Smith Center this Saturday, March 14th at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul Byram, go to paulbyram.ie and follow him on Twitter at Paul Byram and on Instagram. And Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. You are one of Ireland's premier tenors, and I always thought about the fact that there seemed to be abundance of tenors in Ireland as opposed to other types of singers. Why is that? You know, I've been asked that question a couple of times in my career, and I, to be honest, I can't tell you why. Um, I, I, possibly it's because um, from quite a young age, anybody, any boys that have a soprano voice would kind of go to classical training or join choirs, church music and all that kind of stuff would have been quite popular, you know, in a lot of young boys training. And I think then the natural progression, obviously, because of the style of music that's sung in churches, it's quite liturgical and kind of classical. Um, I suppose the natural transition then is from boy soprano into either baritone, bass, or indeed tenor. So so there is just that lyrical tenor um, history that has come out of Ireland as far back as John McCormick, you know. So it's, it's, been, it's been something, I suppose, that we have specialized in for a great number of years. We're lyrical tenors as opposed to... As opposed to I suppose, operatic tenors. You know, there are operatic tenors that have come out of, of Ireland, but primarily I think what we do is we kind of do the ballads and that kind of lyrical kind of music better, you know? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. A little bit of an off-the-wall question, which is, I, I mentioned your website, and it's .ie as opposed to .com yeah. or .org or any of those. So yeah. .ie is clearly Ireland, which you're, we're talking to you in Ireland at the moment. That's right, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a proud Irishman, so whenever I can kind of support local uh, or Irish businesses, I I try to do that. Much like I suppose a lot of Americans would do the same for American products. And um, although I own PaulBarham.com, um, I I like my handle being .ie. Which, uh, <laughs> I suppose another a, a tip of the hat to to home, you know. Absolutely, and I assume you forward the whatever it would come to .com to, to .ie in case somebody comes to yeah, .com. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I love it. Okay, we got the housekeeping cleared up. I just wanted to get some of that yeah. done. <laughs> so you you recorded now. This is fascinating. You recorded your first album, which was the Golden Voice, when you were fourteen years old, and at that point you were a soprano, I believe. Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I was um, I had quite a, a, a nice little uh, career, for want of a better word, as as a as a young boy. Um, in that, I I studied training from the age of seven, and then when I was around twelve years of age, I got cast in my first ever opera, a professional production in Dublin's National Concert Hall with the with the uh, with the concert orchestra here, and uh, playing a part of a mal in, in an opera called a mal and the Night Visitors. And on the back of that, I I kind of started developing quite a bit of work and quite a bit of exposure, et cetera. And, um, and then my granddad actually was the one that suggested, you know, that perhaps we should look into getting a recording done um, before the voice goes, because obviously, as we know, boy soprano's voices drop and change and so forth. And so he said, look, his voice may never come back. He may not be a singer. Um, and so right. it'd be nice to have something to, to remember him by. And so we recorded an album and, and then, it was literally initially recorded just for, for memories, but then it ended up 
um, been picked up and, and, and selling quite well. So that was at 14. And um, and yeah, I had, I had quite a, an, an interesting year or so after the album release. So I kind of got my first taste then, I suppose, for professional music at that age. What's interesting is your your mother's a professional musician, so you, I would have thought she would have encouraged you as opposed to your grandfather, but it worked it worked out. Yeah, no, I mean she did. Don't get me wrong; it was just his idea, you know. And and I suppose she was the driving force behind the the recording, and indeed through my training as well. You know, my dad played guitar as well, just as a as a hobby, but at a very good level. And um, you know, so music was very much in the house growing up, you know. But the piano, my mother taught me as well, and and so. Um, there was, you know, I suppose I was just growing up around music, much like I suppose a quarterback generally doesn't come from a house that doesn't enjoy sports, you know. So, sure, it's in the uh, blood in a way. Yeah, it is, I think. And, and, and much and all, is we, they always hear these arguments about nature and nurture. And, you know, I think certainly you can be born with a talent or um, uh, an, an ability, but I think the nurturing or the, the upbringing you have or you receive is, is probably more important than, than the, the natural talent, you know. It doesn't help to have an Irish accent, which I know from your point of view there is no accent. But <laughs> it's it's well, a... <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we yeah, the Irish accent certainly yeah. works for us over in America. But you know, it's it's funny. I, I think a lot of Americans don't realize that you know there's so many different variants of the accent in Ireland. Actually, sure. believe it or not, I mean, there's 32 counties in Ireland, and so that would be 32 different accents. And then within each county, there's different accents for different areas. Like even in Dublin, you know, I'm on I'm from the south side of Dublin. There will be the south side accent, and then there's the north side of Dublin accent, which is completely different. So um, it's it's quite funny, especially when people come visiting to Ireland from America, um, and they haven't a clue what some of the people are saying on the west coast. Are you able to figure out the other counties' accents? Are they close enough oh, yeah. to yours? Oh, yeah, by, okay. by, by and large, yeah, right. yeah, I would. I mean, as soon as a Cork man would walk in, or a Kerry man, or somebody from the north of Ireland, I'd be able to clock it immediately, you know. But it seems that, from your perspective, I would imagine you think we in America have accents. Well, we, there's a Southern oh, accent, yeah, sure. etc. But New York accent, California's kind of yeah. a, or Midwest, it's kind of flat. But yeah, it's an interesting concept. Just the, that fact. How do you mean? I know this is going to be. It'll sound strange, but. How do you maintain the accent? You travel an awful lot. You're going to be coming, as I mentioned, into Las Vegas March 14th at the Smith Center. But how do you maintain your accent, or do you not even think about it? You just go and travel. I, don't, I mean, you don't think about it, really. Like much as like yourself, I suppose, you don't think about your accent. You know, it's just who you are. Um, and I, I, I suppose, like I lived in New York for five years, and I, I actually think my, my accent got stronger when I lived there, you know? Now, there are certain words my friends here at home say. I say things like an American sometimes, so it's kind of funny when I hear it the other, from the other side, you know, but, you know, certain words you, you'll pick up or you'll say in a, in a way um, that you've been, like, surrounded by. I think with the musical ear as well, people that are generally musical pick up accents pretty quickly. But I would be, I would have been quite conscious, especially when I was living in America, not to lose my Irishness, you know, not my Irish accent in particular. Makes sense. You grew up listening not just to classical music, mainstream music, Buddy Holly, Eagles, all that. You had a, a wide-ranging interest, and I think it stems back from our earlier conversation where you talked about music in the family and music in your blood. Yeah. And so you had a, a real exposure to a wide variety of genres. Did that influence you in your selections of songs and albums down the road? Yeah, for sure it does, uh, and it has, and it continues to do so. I mean, I... Much and all as I'm a classical singer and, and I, I would do classical music, I, I now call myself a classical crossover artist because of the fact that I 
I don't just sing the Irish classical music or the operatic pieces or musical theatre. I like to do, you know, mainstream songs that you mentioned there with, with a classical feel, you know, well, classical feel to the point that my voice is classically trained. So no matter what I sing, it will always kind of sound like a tenor or, or, or like so. And and I think that's important. I think it's important not to be, you know, pigeonholed. I've always enjoyed not being pigeonholed and, and um, to the point now where, even when I released my my album, this is the moment it was shortlisted for a Grammy, and they didn't know really what category to put me in. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, well, there's like five, four or five different styles of music on that album, and and they, I, I, you know, I found myself in a in a category up against Paul McCartney, which was bizarre, you know. So, you know, I, I kind of get a kick out of that, and, and and certainly now I'm planning a new album for this year, and and that too will be. A mixture of you know music styles of, of songs on it with with just my my take on them so to speak, and I, I love all sides all styles of music. So I I think you know if you're not enjoying what you're doing or if you're not getting the pleasure out of doing it, well then what's the point of doing it? So so I like to do a bit of everything, you know, and and and, and that's what I think people enjoy when they come to the concerts is that you know there is obviously the Irish music in my shows, but then I'll also throw in a couple of songs from from Broadway or I'll throw in a couple of mainstream songs you know and 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 um and it, it's a it's a, a mixed bag of stuff that uh, i think appeals to mainstream people you know that you don't have to be highbrow to come to my gig and and um and if you are highbrow well then you'll still come and enjoy it and that's the intention you know what i mean it is also a, the plus and minus of not being pigeonholed you are an artist and it must be in some cases frustrating that you cannot get into a certain category. You talked a moment ago about your album, where, where they were going to put that in a category. Clint Holmes is very similar. He's a, a wonderful performer here in Las Vegas, an artist who appears all over the yeah. world. And he, he also is wide-ranging in his talent and his approach to the art of singing and music. And I, I get yeah. you, you come from that vein, which is you're, you're, you're comfortable with the fact that you are diverse. Yeah, I am comfortable with it. But I mean, as you said, it is difficult to then promote it. You know, how do you sell something that covers a bit of everything you know it is it is a tricky one you know um i've had promoters in the past go well well what do we say about you and i'm like <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> it's the irish thing who likes to sing a bit of everything you know uh, i you know it, it, it is one of those things and and that's why i'm always very kind of encouraging to people that come to the concert to when they leave to, to spread the word and talk about it because word of mouth is the most powerful piece of promotion you can get nowadays you know and and I think when people talk about it and say, well, look, I want to see this guy Paul Byram, and, you know, and somebody might go, well, I'm Italian, I'm of Italian descent, or I'm of German descent, I wouldn't be into that Irish music. You know, I want, I, I want people to be able to go, well, no matter what descent you're from, you can come and enjoy the music. There's yeah. been a bit of that. Yes, including even Christmas music, because you had a Christmas album. Yeah, I've released a Christmas album, yeah. I mean, I've had six albums out over my career, over the extent of my career, and so... Um, and and each album has had a different style. Like I mean, the Christmas album obviously was a bit of a more croony, and uh, the old school Christmas songs were right. on. But then you know I, I released an album called Velvet with a fifty-six piece orchestra, and that was all Mario Lanza and and Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby, all that kind of matinee era, you know. And that um, reached, I believe, number two on the Irish music charts. Yeah, that went to number two here, and then uh, as I said, this is the moment. Then went to was my first number one on the Billboard charts, and that was again a mixed bag of stuff and. And then my last album, Thinking of Home, was actually the first one that was technically an Irish album. And and it was because I was living abroad at the time and, and I was thinking of home, literally, and then I wanted to do an album that reflected that. And so it was my first Irish album. And, and so quite funny in the fact that, you know, 
after all, all the years of being called an Irish tenor, after six albums, it was the first album that was Irish, you know? <laughs> well, doesn't it also become challenging because you were an original member of the Celtic Thunder, so there's an identification yeah. with the Irish connection there. Yeah, I mean, and like that's the thing. I mean, that was, I suppose, how I, I broke into the U.S. by being involved in that show, and, and it certainly, um, it was... It was a great opportunity for me and a great journey, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was with them for about five years, and we had like six number one albums during that time with a number of television specials for public television, which were all primarily Irish music. So I've kind of felt through that period of time I established myself as the Irish act. And so when I left the show in, in 2010, I, I wanted to show my followers that I could do different stuff, you know, and that this wasn't just my, my bag wasn't just Irish. Stuff. Right. That so, was, that was the breakout um, time. In other words. Yeah, it was, it was a very much a statement at the time. So, so yeah, like, I, like anything else, I suppose, like any artist, you evolve with time and you, your, ta your tastes change and your flavors change. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I, I like doing, you know, trying things and seeing how they're re received by the audience. Do you find that when you were in the Celtic thunder, that it gave you a foundation, so to speak, of musicality, or did you you pretty much had that before you joined the group? Yeah, I was. I mean, I had been. I joined the group when I was 26, and I had been fully professional from the time I was, you know, early 20s. And this was on the back of a, a somewhat a, a professional career as a teenager as well, as we pre previously mentioned. So, you know, I, I'd been in the game a long time before Celtic Thunder kind of came about. So, you know, Velvet had, had already, you know, gone to the charts before that, and so. I was very fortunate in that when I went into the group that I had some level of grounding and some level of knowledge as to how the business worked, you know. That being said, I suppose none of us really kind of expected the success that Celtic Thunder had, but we certainly uh, we certainly lapped it up. Oh, absolutely. And that and again, I think it gave you a, a base, so to speak, to jump to the next level as an individual artist. And yeah. it's always a little bit challenging when you leave a group and go out on your own. And for a number of reasons, the logistics and marketing and just the sheer yeah branding and keeping, yes, keeping yourself yes. relevant as well you know because obviously when you leave a group sort of like that you know everybody's got their favorites in the group and so therefore when you jump you know the assumption that all the followers of Celtic Thunder are going to follow you you know is is an unrealistic uh, expectation you know and so you're kind of almost you're, you're taking the following and the fan base that you have from that but then you're looking to build on it as well and it, and it, it can be a long and tricky process you know it does. Let's take a break. My guest, Paul Byram, is performing in Myron's Cabaret Jazz at the Smith Center this Saturday, March 14th at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul Byram, go to Paul Byram, that's B-Y-R-O-M dot I-E, and follow him on Twitter at Paul Byram and on Instagram. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You've seen mobsters and cops face off on the big screen. You've heard the legends of Al Capone and Elliot Ness. But how much do you know about what really happened? Dive into the true stories behind the myths of organized crime and law enforcement at the Mob Museum, the country's finest collection of mob artifacts, history, and interactive exhibits. Find out more and get tickets at themobmuseum.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Paul Byram. He's performing in Myron's Cabaret Jazz at the Smith Center 
this Saturday, March 14th at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul Byram, go to paulbyram.ie. That's for Ireland. And follow him on Twitter at Paul Byram and on Instagram. Speaking of social media, Paul, do you find that a lot of your marketing as an individual performer is geared around social media? Oh, for sure it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Facebook and, and tw Twitter and Instagram, they're, they're all, you know, valuable tools nowadays to get the word out there, you know. And, and then I suppose you have to kind of be aware that when you're not promoting stuff, you need to be kind of keeping people interested as well, you know, and, and kind of keeping people on board and keeping them following you, you know, so that when you do have something to announce that, that they have you, you or that you have them, should I say, following right. you or keeping an eye on you. Um, so it is, that you know, that that's quite a challenge as well. It's another element and aspect of, of the business that, you know, we've all had to learn to deal with and, and kind of become experts in pretty quickly over the last couple of years because it's something that just, you know, exploded for all of us. And, and so, yeah, I, I do. I try and keep it relatively interesting. I keep it lighthearted. Certainly on the Instagram, I like to have a bit of fun on that. And people get to see, I suppose, the personality element of me there, you know. And, and so, therefore, yeah, I, I try and keep it kind of uh, relatively interesting so that when... When they come to the gig, they know what they're kind of coming to see or who they're coming to see. And you can't just use social media for publicizing tours. You also have to, as you say, share a little bit of yourself. So through, yeah. for example, Instagram, where you'd have interesting photos. And you have to kind of mark that demarcation in terms of how much do you want to share of your personal life versus your yeah. professional life. Yeah, it is. It's it's a tricky balancing act, you know. And I mean, I, I I share quite a bit. I'm quite open as a person in general. But you know, you do have to kind of you've got to be careful as well. What you say, you've got to mark your T's and you know dot your eyes, and you've got to be careful you don't insult anybody. There's all of that it's the stuff that you know when you're kind of just talking to your friends or your family, you wouldn't kind of think twice about. But then as soon as you go to post something on Instagram, you have to go, okay, is this going to offend anybody of any color or any race or any sexuality or, right. like, you know, it's it's quite a tricky act But, um, you know, at times my mother says, I wish you were as polite as you are to on Instagram as you are to me. You know, um, you know it, it, uh, it is one of those kind of things that you just learn. And it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, world, the whole social media world, you know, and, and it's just, at times it drives you up the wall, you know, and other times I love it, you know, but because for all the good comments you get, you'll always get the negative comments or the bad comments. There's or, no or doubt about it. There's always, there's, yes, there's no doubt about it. There's always going to be people that are going to be negative. I'm just wondering, do you also think about whether you're going to offend any other tenors when you post? Uh, no, I don't really give a damn about that. <laughs> it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know. <laughs> that's, that's one category that's not protected, I understand. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah, don't give a damn about that. <laughs> so you're coming to, and you're actually coming back to Las Vegas because you've been here before. Yeah, I mean, I I I I got a booking for for the Iron like a God, I don't know, was it two three years ago now? And I thought to myself, God Almighty, who's going to come see me in Vegas? You know, like Irish tenor in Vegas, and um, and I, when I arrived at the venue, I said, So do we have any seats sold? I was kind of expecting a small little audience. And, she says, oh, no, we're sold out. I couldn't believe it. Um, and so it was great. And I really, I was just blown away. And it was a highlight for me to kind of finally say that I had performed in Vegas. And and um, and, and so, yeah, when they said, would I come back this uh, March, I was only too delighted. You know, obviously, March is a, a busy month for me. I've got a number of dates throughout America. I'm singing for the Boston Celtics as well. Uh, who I do what I, I do that quite a bit whenever I'm in the States. But. You know, so it's it's a busy month, and and so I'm 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 flying in to do 
this one gig in Vegas and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. Like, um, it's a town I normally go to just to have a bit of fun with my friends or <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm going to turn up as a professional. It's quite fun, you know? Now the trick is to get your friends to come to the performance too. No, absolutely not. I don't tell them I'm doing Vegas. <laughs> you know, bad influence. I don't need any bad influences. Just get in, do, do, do the work from home. <laughs> That's great. Now we, we have a nice Irish community here. In fact, it's close to St. Patrick's Day here in America when you're performing, so yeah. that works yeah. out well. Now, there's a little thing that people don't know about you, which I'd like to bring up, totally unrelated to your career, but in a yeah. way, it's just interesting to me. You were, you participated in the New York Marathon. Yes, yeah. How, yeah, did, I well, mean, like, how and why? Well, so it was kind of, I, I talked myself into that by mistake and that I was doing a bit of, I was always kind of into fitness in some shape or form, like nothing too serious, and then yeah, there was a charity called Goal, based at a new an Irish charity, but they had an office was based in New York, and they were looking to get a couple of people to volunteer to run the marathon and hopefully raise a few funds for them. And so they asked me what I do, and I said, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem." But I didn't really understand what I was taking on, you know, until I was about, you know, two or three weeks into it, and I go, "Dear God, what have I done?" <laughs> um, and and you know, the fundraising had begun, and people were donating, and I, I couldn't back out, and so. I persevered and got through it, and we raised it close to five thousand um, dollars for for the race. But uh, you know, much and all, it was tough work, and it was a, a grueling experience. It was probably one of the best experiences of my life. You know, it was it was wonderful. Like you know, uh, New Yorkers are great for coming out and cheering you on and stuff like that. And so um, it kind of kickstarted a whole different world for me with regards to fitness and health and training. And and I ended up then, you know, getting into a thing called CrossFit, which you know is um, quite a popular form of training throughout America and, and uh, indeed the world. And in fact, I'm, I'm ringing you from a CrossFit gym here in Dublin. So, you know, I, I have found that by training every day, you know, aside from any aesthetic reasons or uh, fitness levels, it's great for your mental health, you know, and I have found that it's, it's something that we should all be doing. And, and I've been quite an advocator of that, you know, on my social media and so forth. And it's not an element where I'm an expert in any shape or form, but I certainly try and encourage people to, you know, get up off the couch and just do something, you know, whether it's a walk or whether it's a, a, a run or whether it's just going down to the gym for a half an hour, anything is better than nothing, you know, and, and, um, and it, it'll, it'll do great for your mind because, you know, certainly with the music business, it, it can be quite a challenging business at times. It can be, it can be uh, disappointing. It can be depressing, you know, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's nice then to be able to go up to a gym, meet a whole lot of people that don't know you or whatever training you're doing. And, and for that hour or so, you can be somebody else, and then you walk away feeling great. And so I've kept that up, and now I'm 40, and I'm feeling fit, and I'm feeling healthy, and uh, and it's certainly something that I'll be continuing to do for, for quite some time, I think, you know? Now, that's great, and the fact that you're encouraging people to really do what you can. If you can't run a mile, you can yeah, certainly walk yeah. a block or walk four feet, as long as you're for up sure. and moving. That's that's the thing. So that's it, and eating healthy as well, and you know, both go hand in hand, I suppose. But right. but really, just any level of movement or exercise is great. Certainly, because when you know you get to your older ages, you know, I I heard you know the head of of of, of CrossFit said you know recently enough, you know, when you go to a nursing home nowadays, you'll find that seventy percent of people in nursing homes are not there because of illness or because of um you know their their inability to kind of communicate or whatever. They're there because their inability to move. You know, they need help getting to the toilet or getting to the lunchroom or to the diner or whatever it might be, or walking. They just need assistance. And so if you kind of do the functional movements every day and keep moving, getting up out of a chair unassisted, all of those things are very vital and important for just our everyday living. 
um, and and it starts now. You know, you don't do it when you're seventy-five. No, you you can't wait. Yeah, you can't wait to that point. You have to start, or even then, if you've never done it and you are alive at seventy-five, do it then. Yeah. You know, just keep oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never too late to never start. Never too late to start, the, right. Yeah, exactly, or 80 or 85 or 90, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to make the assumption when you fly over from Ireland to appear here in Las Vegas, you will be walking up and down the aisles in terms of movement. Oh, I do, yeah. I mean, yeah. the long flights are pretty challenging, to be sure. Um, I mean, I do. I kind of get up twice or three times. I have, I've had back issues over the years, so, so I, I kind of find I have to do that. But, you know, I would also, again, I would, I, the CrossFit community is quite extended throughout America. So whatever city I'm in, I always find a CrossFit gym and they're always very welcoming and open open their arms and welcome me. Like I, there's one actually I use in, the last time I was in Vegas, I went to one called Sin City, CrossFit Sin City. And, and there's, uh, it was great, worked out there a couple of days. So yeah, whatever city I go to, I, I, I try to work out and, and visit the, the CrossFit gym and, and keep it up, you know, because... As you said, with all the travel and the flying and stuff, you can you can get unhealthy. You can eat unhealthy. Airport food and all that stuff is pretty oh, challenging. Yes. So, oh yes. So yeah, I try and I try and do as much as I can when I'm when I'm on the road. What do you think about? I just came up with a marketing idea for you to differentiate you from any other tenor in the world, and that is, can you jog and sing at the same time? <laughs> I've been known to <laughs> I've been known to sing as I run. Yeah, yes. for sure. <laughs> maybe that's I just it. Or... I think the quality is very good. You know? <laughs> or maybe the CrossFit tenor. You know, you where you're maybe. you're working maybe. out and you singing on stage. You have all the equipment on stage, <laughs> and you invite oh, the God. audience up to the stage to work out with you while you sing. Oh dear Lord! Imagine the insurance levels on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I would think too it helps you from the singing point of view because it exercises your lungs, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, it does. Uh, breathing, I mean, and you look, fitness is fitness, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, your breathing is important and your your fitness levels is important. I mean, you burn an awful lot of energy on the stage when you're performing and you need to be relatively fit to be out there on the stage doing what you're doing. So, you know, and look, let's not kid ourselves. People, when they go to see somebody on stage, they want to see them in good nick. You know, they don't want to see them rolling out onto the stage, limping or with a big belly or whatever it might be, you know, it's, it, that's unfortunately the world we live in. And a lot of it is just visuals as well as the, the quality of singing. So, you know, that's just the nature of the world we're living in. So, you know, I'm aware of that and I, I you know, it's easy to kind of just fall into a comfort zone at 40 and, and just kind of let yourself go a little bit or whatever. And then people come to see you and they've bought an album from five years ago and they're like, well, where's that guy gone? <laughs> so, um, you know, so you do. I, I think it's important to kind of just try and keep your level of appearance um, of a high standard, you know? No doubt about it. Before I let you go, give, give us a sense of the program or the show at the Smith Center. It's going to be a mix. You're, as you mentioned earlier yeah, in the conversation, be, it's going to be, be a mix. mix. Yeah, it'll be a mixed bag. But primarily it'll be Irish with the, the time of year that it is. But um, I always, always have a mixed bag of a couple of show tunes in there and a couple of, you know, the old uh, the crooner numbers as well. Like, I mean, I, I keep it I keep it lighthearted and fun throughout. I tell stories between songs and um, I just try and keep it a, as entertaining and interesting for people as possible. And, and as I said earlier on, whether you're Irish or if you're of Irish descent, that's irrelevant. Um, don't let that put you off. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a show that um, has an Irish flavor but it's uh, not exclusive to those of us that are blessed to have some Irish in us. <laughs> <laughs> and when you travel, are you bringing a band with you or are you picking I'll up band here? Yeah, I'll be traveling with a pianist. A pianist will be playing for me on the night. So, Which your mother um, was too, right? 
Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was indeed. Now she's not traveling with me. I don't think we would survive a tour together. But <laughs> <laughs> we would. We might get through a, a tour might be a challenge. But uh, no, um, but no, I, I, I will have a pianist. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be a nice evening. I, I can assure you. Great. Are you, are your folks happy that you decided on this career? Yeah, I think most of the time they are. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it's it's got its ups and downs as a business, as a career. It has had its ups and downs for me, should I say. And I've persevered, and I, I suppose the fact that I've lasted this long in the game would suggest that I'm doing something right. So they seem happy. They they certainly enjoy the concerts. I'm doing a concert in Dublin here in the in the next few days, and, and that's sold out. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's nice for them to be able to see that kind of level of, of kind of support and, and respect that I'm getting, and knowing that they were involved in the journey from the get-go. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Paul Byram. He's performing in Myron's Camaray Jazz at the Smith Center this Saturday, March 14th at 7 p.m. For ticket information, go to thesmithcenter.com. And for everything about Paul Byram, B-Y-R-O-M, go to paulbyram.ie. And you can follow him on Twitter at Paul Byram and on Instagram and Facebook. Paul, thanks for being on the show. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Be Las Vegas.